Welcome back to the Spinner Rack here at the Marvel New Universe Comics Podcast. Uh, we are your hosts, Stephen with Justice Number Seven, and, and Andy. Yep, yep. <laughs> always. And I, Andy, I'll be covering DP Seven Number Seven, not DP Seventy Seven. Um, started in 1986, the New Universe was an imprint from Marvel Comics, dedicated to a more grounded and less fantastic approach to comics and world building that we sometimes find the stories fantastic. Uh, The idea was the world outside your window with real-time progress and reasonably, maybe cinematically realistic technology, physics, astronomy, and biology. Uh, Eight new comic series launched in one month, set in our world in 1986. Um, And now as the stories progress to 1987, the world still largely doesn't know about paranormals except for a few secret agencies. With our podcast, you can follow along with us each week as we go through each comic in the order they hit the spinner rack, or just check out individual comics if you already have a favorite. We also have a recent recap episode that covers the first six issues of each series. And then you can find all of this and a bunch more cool stuff on kickersinc.com, including our super sleuth sweepstakes. The alliteration always gets me good on that one. Uh, which has a, has a contest running where you can win comics. Uh, there's a Marvel uh, New Universe fan, Facebook fan page uh, you can check out. There's a link to that on the website. And we have Twitter also linked on the website or just go to at Kickers Inc. Uh, to get updates for all of the new podcasts as they drop and usually some fun imagery. Yeah, that's the only downside to the podcast as it, as an audio file, of course, is that we can't show you the cool things without posting them somewhere. So that's as convenient a place as we could find. So this week, I'll be covering justice. Tenson is a fish out of water, possibly an exiled alien policeman, possibly just a crazy person. Fighting drug dealing street punks and dark wizards from his home dimension. He wields the sword and shield of justice as he brings his black and white fight against evil to our morally gray world. This week, justice number seven, justice versus his father, the deadly conclusion. Um, No, No, Uh, it's just the villain inconveniently named dad. (laughs) Yeah, the promo writers didn't... uh, didn't really dig in too deeply to what the writer uh, note sent over. So um, it is uh, still by Steve Englehart and Jeff Fisherwood. Though. Maybe they asked Wayne from Cyforce who the bad guy was. And he's like, the bad guy's just dead. <laughs> <laughs> did, 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 uh, did they have a lot of uh, father issues back in the Marvel bullpen at that time? <laughs> Quite Perhaps <laughs> I tried vaporizing dad, but he just kept coming back. <laughs> <laughs> there yeah. was also the old man. <laughs> oh man. Hmm. Oh, hmm. Yeah. Okay. Conspiracy well, theory forming. <laughs> yeah, so, so this week I'll be talking about DP seven, uh, which is seven random people. Once ordinary and average begin to display powers extraordinary and paranormal in the wake of the white event. Uncertain how to use or even live with their new abilities and their family's reactions, 
Their lives are upended by the clinic they went to for help, which now hunts them in a bid to control them. Together, but not the same, there are seven displaced paranormals on the run, or as we call them, DP7. Nice. Uh, This week in DP7, number seven, uh, the group finds itself dangerously divided. One group wants to tackle their enemy, Scuzz, while the other wants to attempt a kidnapping. And while they argue, the bounty-goaded headhunters are closing (laughs) in. (laughs) Bounty-goaded is such an odd term. Uh, As always, and we are grateful, written by Mark Gruenwald and penciled by Paul Ryan. Yeah, I mean, I expect the headhunters to work for for money. I mean, most people do. Yeah. I don't know. Except the predator. Does it for the thrill of the hunt. (laughs) So, yeah, let's see. Let's dig into justice number seven. It's uh, cover dated May 1987, and we believe hit the stands on February 10th of, uh, of that year. And as we said, Justice is um, alien and uh, uh, who, who fights um, in his first issues a lot of uh, evil from his home world, basically. And it was tied into uh, the drug trade here in, in America in the 80s. Um, so he was taking on some street punks and some bizarre aliens himself, but um, he lost his uh, female love interest, I guess, uh, Becky Chambers, who was an FBI agent, um, Justice Department agent, um, and to, to these dad, the chief wizard from his homeworld. Um, he, after moping around, he met and then lost uh, a little girl in the last issue in a very touching uh, issue. And we pick up after that uh, with this issue. Number seven, Justice is getting off the couch and coming after uh, the drug dealers. So cover is uh, just a picture of Justice uh, pummeling a guy who you can't see his face so you don't really know uh who it is or where he fits in in the story and the clothes are kind of uh, nondescript so you can't quite get anything out of that but justice um looking very mad and in just like a plain red background instead of uh, his eyes glowing red the whole cover glows red except for the logo oddly enough which is yellow Moving on, we have the splash page and the title, A Mirror Darkly, which is um, a literary reference or a biblical reference, I forget. That's um, a good question. The, uh, it's a uh, sort of a long shot of a funeral, uh, a small funeral in a fairly empty cemetery and it's dated December 24th, 1986. So we're still back Christmas Eve, actually. Um, and the story is, as we said, Steve Englehart, Jeff Isherwood, again on pencils, and Vince Coletta on inks. Um, so we pick up in the splash with uh, Justice thinking to himself, Sarah, little girl, and a priest uh, 
saying ashes to ashes. So it's Sarah's funeral from Sarah from issue six, who was just a killed by a, a crazy person that justice was um, tangling with. So the story starts on the next page with uh, justice talking to an older man who's there and who's saying um, she was so beautiful and justice is, starts talking about her as well. Um, and then Arnie grabs him before he says anything too crazy to this other person who says that um, he is um, basically Sarah's grandfather, that they had lost uh, her father, his son in a fire a few days before. Sarah became lost. Then Justice found her. But as Justice himself says, I had saved her from the villains who poisoned her, and then I failed to hold on to her. The old man does, says, you can't blame yourself. It's just the city. There's just neighborhoods you can't go into. And if she just walked in two blocks in the other direction, Arnie and Justice aren't buying it. Just, just, justice. <laughs> we kick back uh, five days earlier. And Zerko, or Zerk, it's referred to both ways in the previous issue, but is um, tied up and being interrogated by Justice, um, probably in Arnie's apartment. And um, at the end of six, Zerko, Justice had said he was going to need Zerko for um, information or advice or something. And he was kind of remorseful, or at least he had more feelings than Chain and the other goons that he was uh, hanging around with. So I, yeah, we had we had kind of speculated that maybe he would work alongside Justice a little bit, just as a reminder that maybe struggle he would, struggle yeah. for redemption there. Yeah, right. Uh, so yeah, we we may have guessed wrong there. <laughs> he's he's tied up, and Justice is uh, asking him who supplies him, and he's he's not too uh, forthcoming at first. But uh, Justice fries his leg with his um, sword. And uh, tells him that, you know, my hand's unpredictable. Maybe I'll <laughs> just kind of buzz you. Maybe it'll blow you away. I don't know what to do. Yeah. So Zerk starts talking. It's like, okay, this uh, Rojas guy, and he gets his from the Villa Lobos. Justice uh, notes that Chango Villa Lobos was killed in the first issue. And Zerk says that it's a whole family and they are in this warehouse over in Queens. Um, so Justice is like, okay, that's all I need to know, I guess. And uh, Zerk doesn't know anything about any of the higher levels getting close to dad. He's like, okay, that's all I know, man. I swear, can you give me a doctor now, please? And Justice <laughs> gives him a, you know, Chain was working for you when he gave Sarah the poison. And... Um, what are you talking about? Uh, you can't just... And Zerk is judged. Yes, vaporized. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a pretty good art scene there, too. Like, you know, he, he's in a chair with his arms kind of chained behind his back, totally helpless. And you kind of get the shot from behind of him getting hit by the purple beam of justice and, uh, you know, seeing kind of outlines of his bones. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it just, you know, ashes to ashes, as the priest said, indeed. Um, 
This is actually, you're right, a, a, such a strong scene that they uh, pulled it out as, in uh, one of the Marvel ages that, you know, the promo came from this. Oh, okay. So they were like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, Arnie pops up on the, in the, you know, comes around the corner. Um, I'm sure he's not too happy about just, just doing this in his apartment. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be funny if he had a dustpan ready. <laughs> you're a lot uh, tougher than you used to be justice this land is tougher than the one i was trained for arnie tenson the justice warrior has new goals so he explains he has to find another trace of dad the wizard and to do that he has to um, find the drug trade that dad controls again and hopefully he can go back to his home world and find Becky Chambers, who he knows was taken there by dad. And it's like, if men like Zerko are the only ones who can help me do that, then I'll be just as tough as I have to be. Then an interesting transition. Um, we go to um, someone who's all in shadows, but stalking around some woods with a gun. And the we, dank glade. The dank glade. That sounds, I don't know. I think there's a medical marijuana place around here now called the Dank Glade. But <laughs> um, there's a. Maybe uh, they're fans. Maybe we should you know, talk about the <laughs> podcast. Care to sponsor us? No, thanks. I'm not comfortable with that. Um, so she's like, oh, here comes some intruders, some justice warriors. And yeah, you see four of those guys on those uh, flying platforms that we've seen a couple of times. So we're back in Justice's homeworld, and we don't—we still don't see who this is. But they're, they uh, fire uh, this gun at um, the guys on the platforms, who are all like, "Who is it? I can't see. I can't see. Look at the hole in Slytech. Slytech. That's one of the Justice Bros." Which is what I refer to them as. Okay, that's good. Um, Slytech, so, Pavel, and then two non- unnamed bros. Oh, you're right. Pavel gets uh, nailed at in the bottom of the page. So yeah, three three of them go for cover, and then one of them's got his head up too much and is talking about like, well, you know, it's Tenson's gone, and since then, oh, um. So the last two uh, fire up the sword and shield and uh, aim for wherever the shots are coming from. But then a couple more um, gunshots ring out and they're down. And then the person is stalking towards them with some familiar words, reassuring the world is alien. My purpose is not. And yes, it's Becky Chambers. Oh, that is like his line from issue one, isn't it? Yeah, it's when he popped out. That's the first thing he thinks. Um, congratulations, Becky Chambers. Very fitting. You're fitting in very well with us. Thank you, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, can we can we invent a name for this guy? Like, it's, oh, it's tempting. I know he gets like a more elaborate one later, but I don't want to jump ahead of ourselves. So. I will. I will just continue using. Oh, I'm like Wizgore or something. 
I'll just keep calling him dad and using the most interesting man in the world uh, voice on him if I can. All right. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, anyway, yeah. Hey, thanks. Uh, you, you know, it's been really interesting since I woke up here in your tunnels and you trained me to be an anti-justice warrior, even though I remember being a justice warrior. Yeah, you know, I told you that was just a propaganda thing on their behalf. Fake news. <laughs> Fake news. <laughs> Uh, they also believe in a thing called Q. I don't understand it either. Um, <laughs> anyway, you got a lot to learn, but uh, you know, someday you'll find your way back. Anyway, um, so yeah, he thinks to himself, uh, after I've molded you in my image and fashion, after you've used your alien weapon to decimate my foes for me, I'll send you back to Earth gladly, where you can destroy justice. <gasps> <laughs> Meanwhile, elsewhere in the wood, you see our friend Webstrahl the wizard, supposedly good wizard. Um, <laughs> he's really at like the most, for like a, you know, good versus evil world. He's a pretty morally ambiguous dude. I don't know. Yeah. He doesn't really do anything particularly wrong, but he always seems kind of weaselly. Yeah. He, he was supposed to be studying all these like new powers and energies, but he, he hasn't come up with anything yet. He's, um, Anyway, yeah. in this in this episode issue, he's he goes to um, he's thinking himself in his study and is, goes to look ask the king about something. I felt a surge in the bleak force which marks the wizards of the winter. Um, some more energy basically channeled over from Earth to assist their enemies, um, and uh, he tries telling the king about this, King Therion. And the king is like, yeah, whatever. I got a drink. Uh, leave me, wizard. I would rest a little longer. Webstrahl is not too happy with that. So he takes a walk into the gardens where he finds uh, Queen Andalana, who's um, sort of in the doghouse, I guess. Um, since uh, you know the king saw she and uh, Justice snogging. Snuggling? I don't know. What to call it. <laughs> there was at least some kissing. She's been some, exiled. They may have been aura mingling. I don't know. That's that's <laughs> Justice's go-to move with the ladies. I, I think she's been exiled to the couch. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. She's like, what have news have you for an outcast? She's hanging out. Um, so your husband is going to lose the war. What? How can you say that? Even though I've been exiled for illicitly loving Tencent. I cannot allow such words to be spoken in my presence. And Webstrahl and, and Delana talk about how we need justice. We need Tencent back here to fight this war because we're losing. So. so we got a drunken, useless king, right? We got some bad guys waiting in the wings. Right? We've got, you know, the, the knowledge guy, right? The wizard. We've got a queen who's had an affair like is this game of thrones <laughs> uh that's a good question <laughs> there's a um it's always like a little frustrating in his, justice's world that it's it's you know you don't really get a sense of a society you get like a group of people and they talk about their problems but you don't see like armies clashing and dragons lighting up the sky and all these sort of 
uh, epic scale things. Right. Might, uh, they, they seem almost kind of ineffectual, though, really. It's like, you know, the, the Justice Warriors weren't that great, you know, right? Like, they've got, yeah. they got taken down by the Hounds in an earlier issue without that much fight, and then they got taken down by one lady with a gun without that much fight. Right. Yeah, the, the gun thing is a little odd because you justice didn't have that much trouble with people with guns. And um, you would think if that was helpful to dad, he could just bring guns over by the truckload. You know, I was going to bring over some bleak force, but turns out guns work too. So I just brought some <laughs> guns. Over. Right? Hand grenades, all sorts of stuff. I don't know. Yeah, you could, uh, Mark, Mark Hazard's apartment alone could turn the tide of this war. So possible, perhaps accidental save for that plot idea though, is if justice being in the, you know, our world in New York city is kind of like tainted his aura and then kind of messed up his powers, you know, maybe like bringing that stuff back um, could potentially mess up our, our bad guy aura or something. It's yeah, iffy. It's, I, I don't hundred percent buy it, but I mean, when you have like a, a as vague a, a thing as 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 we have here, um, yeah, you can you can imagine like you know scales are unbalanced. So him being in one world, you know, you can't. I don't know. Um, yeah, or maybe the hounds shoot like stormtroopers or something. You know, they just <laughs> they can't get it together. That's exactly. Yeah, uh, until we get to a little further in this issue, I mean, the hounds seemed pretty, um, you know, animalistic. And uh, yeah, just how much are you going to accomplish with that? Not too much. True enough. There's a few um, open-ended arguments about uh, Justice's homeworld, but we go back to Justice in Queens now, where Arnie is giving him a ride. And like there's the Villa Lobos uh, address, and uh, Justice tells him you know, where to you know, wait for him and everything. And just, Arnie starts saying, "Look, you know, in Mexico, I asked if I could go with you too, and you were like, you don't speak uh, Spanish, and uh, you know, this time uh, I don't need to know Spanish. I can come with you. Um, I, I can handle myself." We just need your apartment and your car, Arnie. That's the <laughs> only thing you're good for. Stop trying to charge into the action. You know, it would it would totally have made sense if Arnie was like a Vietnam vet or something. He's about the, you know, he could be a, like a 40-ish guy like uh, Mark Hazard and, you know, have a little experience and be a little, you know, it would be a little more like rational for him to be like, I can come with you into this like, you know, fire pit to, you know, crossfire um but arnie uh so justice gives him you know a kind of a nice speech arnie you are my good friend i had no one when i came here and only two things sustained me my nature as a justice warrior and you and um you nearly paid with uh your life for helping me i owe you more than i can ever pay and i'm saying this the people I face are bad and worse and uh, bad being these Villa Lobos guys are bad enough for any, anyone in this land. And I thought Becky could handle it, but you know, I was wrong and I got her hurt and I'm not going to let it happen to you either. So 
Um, I'm not going to risk anyone, no matter how good his qualifications. So Arnie gives him like, well, as long as you understand the qualifications part. Okay. <laughs> Stroke the ego a little bit. It's a nice kind of like a buddy cop, buddy cop movie thing. Yeah. Um, so Justice starts going into um, one of these dark warehouse um, blind alley things. And, you know, they have a little, um, like his thought balloons um, have like the corners cut out. It's interesting. Um, and he's thinking to himself during this uh, about how he has, of all the people around, he's the one who has to go into uh, these uh, evil places and deal with all of his um, fighting through their defenses. And he remembers the part in Los Angeles where he had to fight his way up or didn't surprisingly, but this time he's going in uh, and he, he's walking over some guys that he either knocked out or killed on the way. He finally gets to a door that's got a couple of guards on it. Guard number one just immediately gets judged. The other one is uh, knocked over. And Justice is right there in his face um, in Spanish. What's the code to enter? Um, He knocks him around a bit and uh, then holds him up to the door. And the guy tells the guy inside um, the code word. Door opens. Justice throws the guy into the room and knocking over this uh, guy who opened the door. Um, People start hearing the commotion and running. Justice gets up and fires the sword at one of the people who is entering the room with a gun. And then he has a malfunction. His hand just does nothing. Right then what the guy, the guard he'd knocked over hits him from behind with a chair. This is a full bloody action scene. And we're like only starts about halfway through the book. So we are deep in it. They've knocked him down, but he uh, pushes himself off the ground with his shield, uh, knocking the guy behind him down and then high kicks someone else. Uh, Sword at someone uh, sort of a long shot. And then he's kind of running through this warehouse, up some stairs, more people are gathering around. And you just be, see more and more guys coming out of the woodwork and uh, they're tough looking customers. Um, he's uh, starts using some jujitsu moves, I guess. He's throwing people around into each other, knocking them down the stairs and stuff. And uh, using his shield to knock a few back. And then he's, his hand comes up and fizzles out. He's like, I sort of uh, kneels down for a second. And then we have a shot of his hand kind of warming up. And then a long shot of him literally surrounded by people and just judging all of them. I yeah, count about so- eight. A sweep of the arm, you know, across field. And yeah, I like that. He kind of like takes a moment to concentrate. And yeah, I kind of ate in that scene. So Wow. Yeah. I mean, they're just uh, Hiroshima shadows, you know. Um, he, he heads upstairs where there's three guys in an office. One of them is drawing a gun. 
and then the next page that guy presumably is flying out a window being pushed by justice's shield justice walks in the room sarah sent me and they're like who the hell is sarah um he 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 mentions something about the, a girl who didn't deserve the fate they just think oh it's your girlfriend od'd well look i'll uh, you know we just make this stuff available people have their their own make their own choices and justice uh doesn't doesn't accept that she was four years old and that character is also judged <laughs> with one guy left my brother uh me hermano i think that that's what that means um, <laughs> yeah i like he's literally kind of given up kneeling and like sifting through the sand of his vaporized brother. <laughs> um, so he's like, I need, he's just as dead as Sarah and as dead as you'll be if you don't tell me who, who's your connection to Damon Conquest. The guy is not um, ready to do that. Justice um, fires a small shot at his leg. And the guy's... Um, Still says he won't do it. He's going to die first. And Justice tells him, no, you're not going to die yet. I'm going to get the name and you're going to beg to tell me. Ouch. <laughs> then it's 20 minutes later and Arnie is like, notices uh, Justice coming. You okay, Jess? And Justice gets in the car and he just lies down in the back seat. And he says the most amazing thing. Oklahoma is okay, Arnie. I'm tired. Wake me when we get home. I I find that remarkably evocative. I don't know why. It's sort of like his childish uh, innocence coming back again. But that's a quote, I think, from Justice Number 3 when they're at Rosie's Diner. Right, yeah. Arnie was driving them across the country and it was just the license plate at the time in Oklahoma. And he was talking like in his like happier days, like, you know, more innocent times, like, Oh, this, this place is nice sometimes. Yeah. I like it here. Arnie. Yeah. I like your well, they, food and everything. it's okay. They, they did a nice job in that episode of kind of like setting the scene and kind of like a nice break at Rosie's and talking about food and how he wanted to order something different. He's <laughs> tired of potatoes or something. And then everything went to crap. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, you're right. This is pretty impressive where, you know, like he's going in total death wish mode, like not really talking, just wiping everybody out on the path to the bosses, you know, has to torture the guy for 20 minutes, presumably offs him. <laughs> presumably, yeah. Um, I put him on the death count and then, you know, adrenaline crash, come back and I'm just like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is amazing. I don't know. You really sort of feel justices like highs and lows. I don't know. It's, uh, uh, so we segue back to um, the other world where Becky is talking to, I think, a hound. You think he's a hound? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure this full, hairy, muscled, uh, reddish guy with horns is a good guy right <laughs> satanico demonicus uh, 
No, his he actually does have a name though, Talim. Talim. Okay. Um, so he is, yeah, thank you, Talim. Dad's ability to bring this stuff through from the other world still astounds me. He's got a box that says 38 caliber ammunition on it for your uh, clarity. So um, he, he talks a little about how without uh, magic, the me- mechanism seems unfinished, but it does seem effective. And Becky's like, yep, that's great stuff. We'll definitely win the war now. We have one revolver. <laughs> It's more cost-effective than certain uh, Eastern European countries I can mention. Um, so Becky is like, great, we're, we're all set, but she sort of has a blank-out moment, and she sort of feels something or remembers something strange. And then on the next page, Justice is also like, Becky? Like he can feel something across the worlds there between the two of them. And we always said, like, and Arnie points out, yeah, you told me your aura and hers were mingled. I thought you were just talking about, you know, having some funny business there. But anyway, (laughs) no, he's like, uh, you know, they're kind of confused by this. But um, uh, Justice says that um, this is, I guess, the same night. that the next person on that they have to go find is in Montreal. That's what the Villa Lobos guy said. And uh, just as they're talking about leaving, actually maybe it's the next day because I think they're packing, yeah, luggage in the in the cab to go. So he's like, "Well, we got to go head off to Canada to uh, get the next guy in the drug chain." But hold it, folks. You fit a description. We've got my friend from the albino eyes right down to the snappy shirt. Justice always wearing the same clothes isn't great if he's trying to hide out from the uh, from people. But anyway, so who are you? We're agents of the Justice Department, my friend, and we want to talk to you about a murder. The murder of Rebecca Chambers. <gasps> what? <laughs> oh, my God. Next issue. Justice takes on the Justice Department. All right. <laughs> Maybe instead of a uh, kill count, we should be doing like a justice count. How many times do we say the word justice? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, I mean, the, personally, I like justice. And when they call him just, it's like, meh. Um, if they called him Tenson, I would also like that. I don't know. But J-Man, I think they, told, they, they got rid of that quickly, but. Yeah, I mean, it's only two syllables. I feel like people could handle it. But yeah, we, we end up saying justice so much, you'd think it was Cyforce. <laughs> Cyforce? <laughs> um, so let's see, kill count, I got 15. Yeah, the, the, uh, the last guy was off panel, but I kind of assumed he was fifth, right. number 15. And then there was the guy who kind of like steps over in the beginning, which I kind of just taken... I'd taken as like a crackhead or something that was just passed out. Oh, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Which, I thought it was someone he'd like snuck from behind, but yeah, you could just be, yeah, it was a crappy neighborhood. So yeah. Yeah, I got, yeah, but I got 15. I'll call it that. Because there's no way he let that last guy live. No, no. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> but I love um, that, like when they first, when he first entered the like drug warehouse, there's like a punch clock right there. It's like <laughs> these guys are working in an efficient system, you know? 
getting an hourly wage, punch in. Oh, hey, we're missing yeah. two of our thugs. They didn't punch in. <laughs> Look, Ani, I've been meaning to tell you about that. You, you punch in five minutes late one more time and uh, expect me to pay you for the full hour? No way. No yeah. way. Those criminals just don't want to work anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, I also put together a kill count for Becky. I guess it was the four justice warriors. Oh, yeah. Such, such potential. Like the justice bro with the sunglasses. What was his story? There's one bro with the soul patch. Like, uh, yeah. The. Uh, we'll never know. Them. Too, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's I, I'm wondering if Becky's aura is still pure. If she's a killing machine in the other world. <laughs> Oh, hmm. it's like the, um, I mean, if, if she just sort of ended up in justice's, uh, area, would she have become more pure the way he is supposed to be getting more corrupted on earth? She's yeah. definitely getting more corrupted in the other part of the world. Yeah. But it's interesting. Cause it's like, you know, they had all that discussion about aura corruption, but like it seemed a little different, right? Like it wasn't like he was turning green, like into a bad guy. It was more just like, you know, the, the magic was mixing with earth aura or something. And then that was throwing off his, his uh, spring land magic or whatever the heck it is. Yeah. So it was a little vague. I think it was not quite as clear as like, you know, he's going bad or something. It's just like he was absorbing like a different energy uh, that's a good possibility. Although it, it kind of, I mean, the, the lengths he's going to at this point kind of make me wonder if like fighting dad also turns him into dad. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like a fight that like the more you do it, the more corrupted you become or something. Um, yeah. You start off thinking you're the good guy until you have to do everything. You're willing to do whatever it takes to meet your goals. And then how are you so different from the bad guy kind of deal? Yeah. Yeah. So I think some of this reminded me a lot of 24, at least the first couple of seasons of it with um, torture being um, used by the quote, quote, good guy. Um, and I think similarly to that in the, um, say the early seasons because they got kind of like cliche with it as they went along. But uh, at first it was, you got a better sense of like Jack Bauer being sort of morally conflicted and sort of a guy pushed over the edge by, you know, whatever he, he had to do to complete his mission and all that. So, so that's what it's reminding me of at the moment. I don't know. Yeah. Sequels, especially action sequels always tend to, you tend to lose some of that as you try and like do one-upsmanship and, you know, yeah, we've seen this before. So it, it becomes a little more comic kind of or extreme. Yeah. One season you're torturing a guy to save the president the next year, like torturing the president to save someone else, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm also a big fan of the trope where the good guy gets amnesia and then and ends up with the bad guys and is like convinced onto their side and until they start kind of questioning things and they're like, hmm, hmm. why yeah. are all these like snake symbols around here? That doesn't seem like what good guys <laughs> would do. <laughs> you know, 
come on, Becky, really for the human sacrifice. The what? <laughs> yeah, for a person with the pure aura, you'd think you'd. Uh, why is everyone I, I talked to a, a deformed animal human hybrid? Is that normal? <laughs> um, yeah, so the, the title, A Mirror Darkly, definitely has, um, I, I, I think of as Becky being. Justice's dark mirror now being right. current um, dad's assistant and basically doing what he did in our world, except in their world. Yeah. And I would say the writer did a nice job tying back into things that like he didn't even write. Right. Right. That was good when in the first uh, issue, yeah. it was like, oh, the Villa Lobos is, it's not just one dude, it's a whole family. And they got yeah, not Villa Lobo, Villa Lobos. <laughs> yes, exactly. I took German in high school. I don't know the Spanish stuff. I don't know. Something about a house and a wolf. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it is Game of Thrones. House of the wolf. Anyway. I don't know. When did Martin start writing Game of Thrones? Maybe he ripped off the new you. It did start a long time ago, I'm told. But uh, I think he was working on wild cards back in the 80s. Yeah. Like, they're like superhero stuff. So he should have been at his finger on the pulse of uh, the new you. Yeah. What a hack. Uh-uh. Ripping off Engelhart. One more time. If I've heard that once, I've heard it a hundred times. Ah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. So it's a pretty straightforward story, but it is full of action, super intense, and uh, still yeah, has a lot of like gets me in the feels a bit. So I don't know. I will grade this one an A. Giving it a straight A. Okay. Yeah. I kind of, I mean, I haven't looked at it in I don't know how many years, but I always had fond memories of justice. And I, I can only assume these are the um the kinds of issues that that planted that idea in me a long time ago yeah yeah i, I definitely enjoyed the callbacks to the earlier issues you know the art was good the story was good the uh you know the the winterland stuff always still kind of throws me off a little bit like you know it's I kind of don't mind that it's not that well developed, but it's also just kind of like so unusual. Like I'd say the only knock is that that idea of like all it takes is one revolver and she can take down the whole justice crew, apparently. <laughs> what do these wizards even do? Like the one guy just talks and schemes and then they should be like channeling dark energy into the gun or something. And then it's like, well, the gun's from the other world and the dark energies from the other world so it's synergistic or something i don't know yeah i, I was thinking a minus i'll stick with a minus it's, it's right up there and good uh not as not as good as the last one i think which really got me but, but yeah yeah this is top-notch stuff i'm happy to read it yeah i mean engelhart's i gotta give it up for is is like technical yeah the technical mastery he's displaying here of, you know, callbacks to earlier things and, you know, showing uh, sort of parallel structure and um, yeah, just, just well done uh, writing and good art. 
good art. No, no, no issues following things this time. Yeah, no. All righty, shall we take a break? All right, let's take a break and come back with some DP7. Awesome. Welcome back. Uh, we've got DP7, number seven, 75 seven, cents. Seven, 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 seven. Lots of sevens. <laughs> Deeper meaning. No, I don't know. <laughs> um, I mean, wow. Well, yeah, luck. Uh, um, holiness. Yeah. yeah. Well, this issue is all about the divided seven. So that lack of luck is perhaps causing them problems. Um, our cover is kind of fun. I, I'm always a little, I always kind of enjoy uh, covers that have word balloons on them. Right? Sure. Not always super common. Uh, so we get a, a real snip of the story of uh, Dave holding Chuck, Stephanie's husband up by the jacket, like holding him up in the air while the, the kids look on in horror saying, mommy, don't let him hurt daddy. <laughs> Dave, don't you kill my husband? And Dave doesn't look too happy. Yeah, that's perfect. You know, that's, that's not quite what happens in the story, but what happens in the story is actually better, I think. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it has like a nice like if if like you'd have given the story to a guy in the seventies and said, "Make a cover out of this." This is exactly what you would have gotten. You know? What I mean? Yeah, there was like the most intense moment and then amplified by a factor of 10. So Superman's going to die in this issue. What? <laughs> no, I guess not. <laughs> yeah. DP seven, uh, as usual, uh, created by Grunewald and Paul Ryan. Grunewald's our writer. Paul Ryan is our pencil. Uh, Ryan and Tangal, Romeo Tangal did inks on this. Um, Jim Shooter, still editor-in-chief. Our title of our splash page is Kidnapped. And so, <laughs> again, comic books are a visual medium here, but um, in our new feature called Word Balloons Taken Out of Context, a naked 15-year-old boy <laughs> smoldering in the brittle air from some strange inner heat. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, maybe we should put some context on that. I'm <laughs> um, not sure I'm comfortable reading this. So, you know, we had 20 people killed in justice, and like we start off with the character naked in DP7. Both of these are co comics code authority approved. <laughs> comics code was taking it, taking it easy these days, I think, though. <laughs> you don't want to look at DP7? No, I'm sure it's Gruenwald. He's fine, I'm sure. Sure, it's fine. Sure, it's fine. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so so last issue, you know, Scuzz had left the team. Um, he had a run-in with bikers, and they kind of beat him up. He, you know, was kind of rescued by a woman, but she burned herself trying to kiss him. Which, you know, there was some age difference there, so it was probably a little inappropriate anyway. Um, but yeah, he, you know, freaked out, trashed the bikers, killed people, burned people, blew up their bicycles. You know, 
amplified his power to scorcher levels, basically. Um, thus, there goes the clothes and kind of ridden off in a blaze of glory, um, almost suicidal, uh, but not dead. <laughs> um, and Randy went looking for him. He was really the only one of the crew that really wanted to uh, reunite with him. Um, and uh, Stephanie, David, and Lenore went off on their own to try and pick up Stephanie's kids. And, and we've got some new bounty hunters that are after them because, you know, Bloodhound and Explosive Pimple Man and vice versa couldn't quite get the job done. <laughs> and that's how we got to the naked 15-year-old boy riding a motorcycle. You see, um, it's all perfectly normal. Perfectly right, normal. totally makes sense. Um, and he's got his smoldering acid smoke you know, covering up any of the... Uh, <laughs> any of the private parts. So we're okay. Yeah, everyone's okay. Um, but yeah, so, you know, we, we start with Scuzz and he's cruising through the countryside. He kind of recaps what had been going on um, as he's driving down the road. Um, you know, again, you know, just not feeling happy about his place in the world. Um, you know, so I got my yaks and scored a bike, big deal, big hairy deal. Don't change the fact that I'm poison, acid, fire, and no woman will ever be able to touch me without getting third-degree burns, right? So he's already kind of a punk teen, but, like, if you're never going to get to kiss a girl and you're 15, like, eh. yeah. that's tough, right? So, so whereas he had kind of been the one that was excited about his powers and causing trouble and maybe even being a hero or something, you know, he's definitely in a low moment, Um but he drives down, down the road, again, cold and naked. Um, he gets passed by a car, which we see the inside of. And, and this is uh, two of our headhunters, um, you know, and they're basically kind of laying down a careful plan. Like he's coming down the road, you know, don't engage, follow him, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, so they're being very careful. Um, but this guy's is naked and pulls up to a farmhouse. Um, so we get the old, you know, stranded on the road, go find a farmer thing, um, and finds nothing in the barn, uses his acid touch to burn a hole into the, you know, the lock, like it's sort of an old fashioned lock to, to break into the place, you know, basically looking for clothes, uh, or, or, or something to help himself out. Um, but he gets confronted by the farmers, take another step and we'll be scraping you off the walls. <laughs> I mean, I know that that like if you're out in the country, farmers are around, but man, I I also just assume they're all heavily armed. So, uh, yeah, I think that's pretty accurate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You don't want to mess with Orville, even if you're a boy, because he's a robber's a robber if you're Orville and you got a big shotgun. <laughs> <laughs> so Scuzz tries to talk his way out of it saying he was robbed by a motorcycle gang and they took his clothes and you know Orville is a bit suspicious because he rode up on a motorcycle but um, he says that's what he did to get away from them um, but yeah he's just holding the gun on him you know so they, they do get him some clothes but then they're going to call the police uh, Scuzz goes you know you don't have to do that that gang that was after me they're probably long gone by now we ain't calling them for your benefit, kid. <laughs> so, no suspicious Orville. I like that Orville is like a, you know, an older guy, and you know, he has that sort of 
I don't know, Mennonite beard or something. Yeah, kind of that Abe, Abe Lincoln chimp strap kind of thing going on. Yeah. And his wife's name is Emma, though, which is like the trendiest name in the like five to ten year old generation right now. <laughs> Orville also sleeps in his overalls. So. <laughs> Uh, Either that or he had to strap those suckers on before he uh, went to confront the, the intruder. Chores never end on the farm. No. Never end. Well, if it was like three in the morning, you know, he's probably getting ready to get up, I guess. Yeah, that's true. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just says it's moonless, moonless night in Wisconsin. Hmm. Well, we may just have to add Orville to our list of like fun <laughs> You know, overly thought of by us side characters in the new universe that uh, you know it's should a have got more imagined to. universe, much like the one right outside our door. <laughs> Not since we took on big bridges. You know, did we, are we ever going to take more borders in? You know, we thought she was reformed, but she ended up back in jail anyway. Oh, you're not going to do this to me again, like Big Bridget did. No, sorry, Bob. And those yokels that stole my truck and the joke's on them because the brakes didn't work. <laughs> so yeah, you, I guess you'd have to be pretty deep into the new universe to get all of my <laughs> references there. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> so some sweeps, summer sweepstakes spectacular round two. Oh yeah, we could make our own questions. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Who's our favorite scientist? <laughs> anyway so you know scuzz doesn't want to have a run in with the cops and he's kind of hoping at least maybe betting that uh, perhaps orville's not going to shoot him in the back so he takes off hops on the bike you know he's not shooting i'll be out of here in no time uh what oh keys are missing <laughs> um and so then looks like we've got five goons yeah uh, it's amazing but, yeah just uh, totally dressed like regular guys um, but yeah, they, they trank, trank him. He's down instantly, you know, give a cover story to Orville that he's a dangerous fugitive and, uh, well, Scuzz is officially captured. There you go. One down. One down. All right. Yeah. The, the, um, headhunters, we, we don't see using powers in the, any of this, uh, first capture. Right. So we don't really know anything about them. So we don't know if we're still a possibility or not, but um, yeah, it was just a trank gun and coordinating themselves with you know, a couple of groups of guys. Um, yeah. right. So 10 hours later in Sheboygan, Wisconsin, we cut to the Winnebago. Uh, David Landers, Stephanie and Lenore are in. And basically they go by the school and she picks up uh, picks up her kid right so it ben. feels a little bit like a kidnapping but no because you know it's actually their mom <laughs> mama yeah right so the kid's happy um you know a little surprised because i don't think he's seen her with her sparkling because at this point stephanie is like glowing basically at all times uh where it had been sort of muted before or you know really noticeable at nighttime perhaps um <clears throat> but yeah, so, you know, reunite, you know, toss the kid in the Winnebago to meet uh, her friends, you know, <laughs> which are a bunch of weirdos. Why is this, why is she wearing a mask, mommy? 
Here's, here's my friends, a ghost and a circus strongman. <laughs> what? Yeah. But it gets it gets crazier anyway. <laughs> right. So so she has to try and explain herself. You know, it's a little kid, but you know, he's still, you know, a little on top of things, right? He's he's paying attention. Um, so they kind of argue uh or talk a little bit about, you know, whether they like grandma or why daddy's mad and and such. Um, but you know, got one kid, one kid's on the Winnebago. Um, so they, they take him over to grandma's house, which is where the kids have been staying because Chuck is totally worthless, her husband. And, you know, <laughs> things, things get a little crazier from here too. Right. So, uh, just Stephanie and Lenore go in. So they leave the muscle outside. Um, you know, they meet grandma in the kitchen and, you know, grandma's surprised, right? What are you doing here? Does Chuck know you're, wait, what? <laughs> um, and you know, so I've come here for my children. <laughs> Mommy, do you still love me? Uh, and Lenore goes, shield the child. <laughs> <laughs> Takes her glove off and uses ominous her, stuff. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and just totally, you know, trank powers uh, out grandma <laughs> <clears throat> right in front of the kid. What She's, happened to grandma? She just fainted, dear. <laughs> just what? a normal thing for my she never does that. ghost woman to cause grandma to faint. Is she know. a witch? <laughs> totally not a witch. <laughs> Benny, I think that witch hurt grandma. <laughs> I'm going to stop with the Emily. Uh, I love it. <laughs> But yeah, like I, I like this though. Like the, the kids are questioning, you know, they're not just, you know, going with it. Like crazy stuff's happening. Mom's coming in by surprise. They're happy to see her, but, you know, things are a little weird for sure. <laughs> Why are you glowing, mommy? <laughs> but yeah, so, so we cut, cut back to outside and David's just kind of waiting in the car, hope, not knowing what's going on, you know, feeling nervous about, you know, kind of sort of kidnapping the kids. Um, and, you know, I, I like this, you know, he's, he's had a crush on Stephanie the whole way and been kind of like conflicted about it. Um, you know, it says, you know, what are we going to do once we have the kids ride, ride around for a couple of weeks? Will she ever want to give them back to, to their old man again? Well, if nothing else, this will probably get old Chucky Harrington mad enough to start divorce proceedings, which will give me, hmm. <laughs> well, no. <laughs> Uh, but then he's David Lander, so yes, he's in love with her, but he's also conflicted and, you know, doesn't feel like she would, could ever appreciate him because he's, a, as he puts it, a 300-pound ape. It's low self-esteem. That's his problem. I mean, yeah. High muscles, low esteem. Inversely proportional. But as, as is the theme of the issue... Uh, um, a, un, a blank sort of normal looking car kind of drives by slow down Jerry and we've got some headhunters spying him um, so so they see that it's David and they recognize him but they're going to wait for a better for better timing in order to uh, presumably try and capture the guy so they got scuzz down and they've got eyes on the you know the, the next three of the team so we're in some trouble here mm-hmm. Right. And then uh, the rest of our seven, right? So we got a, a lot of things going on. Uh, still in Wisconsin. Um, 
here, uh, Jeff and Charlie and the doctor, uh, Randy, they're all basically just trying to track down Scuzz. Um, so again, in a, in sort of normal comics, they probably would have like found him instantly. Uh, but in a sort of a, a realistic world, like, you know, Wisconsin's big, like, you know, they just went off. How are they going to find him? Um, but he's kind of tracked him down, uh, having heard some of the story of, um, be easier yeah. if he was dripping acid everywhere. Or right. <laughs> you see foot, follow his footprints and drip <laughs> <Exactly>. marks. Yeah. <laughs> But but they make it back to Bean City, right? All right. Coffee Beans, which is a biker bar. <laughs> I always like that wacky name, but yeah, I man, it's looking, it's seen better days now. Yeah, that uh, yeah, all the, the windows of torture were uh, was pretty apocalyptic, but it's full of people on the inside now. Even more full than before it got trashed. So. It's a little gentrified, in fact. It's uh, a little more upscale than that crappy bark biker crowd they had in there before. That's true, yeah. <laughs> well, all the bikers are dead, so <laughs> hey, finally we can go to Bean City again without getting hassled. It's like they don't say uh, no no uh, publicity is bad publicity. <laughs> <laughs> None of those revving motorcycles out front. Hey, Orville, they had a, a scorcher attack over at Bean City. Bean City, you say? Hmm? We haven't been there in a while. <laughs> <laughs> Their coffee is it's not that great, but, you know, pretty good home fries. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so anyway, Randy's kind of just hanging out, uh, orders a Miller Lite, uh, but just kind of listens to all the people talk uh, about what went on, and the descriptions of him sort of being on fire throws Randy where he was kind of convinced it was Scuzz from the newspaper stories. Then um, he's not so sure because, you know, for all of our team has seen, you know, he can just kind of be acidic and burn clothes. No, nobody's seen him uh, be the scorcher. Right. Uh, but yeah, again, Randy's kind of the only one that's looking out for Scuzz. Um, Charlie, um, <clears throat> Is out having a conversation uh, with Jeff, where you know, like, they're she's kind of questioning their reasoning for BT for all kind of still sticking together. Um, she is, you know, one of the more normal ones. You know, there's nothing about her that she couldn't sort of pass as someone without paranormal abilities, and she's kind of starting to gain control of them even better. Um, so she's talking with Jeff, of course, who can't do any of those things. Um, and she's talking about leaving, but well, maybe she should go back to school somewhere else. You know, just kind of goofing around with Jeff and making him slip off the seat. Uh, but she doesn't really want to tell Randy. Randy's kind of like the father figure a little bit where, you know, they don't want to disappoint him or, you know, kind of worried that he'll freak out kind of thing. So being a little bit. I kind of get the sense that Charlie has, has a bit of a, a, I don't know, crush is the word, but she seems interested in Randy. Like, yeah, it's, it's never really you been, want go ahead. The, the Stephanie and and David like, oh, uh, you know, you want to do something? Sure, I'll come along with you to do that. You know, so she yeah. came along with him, even though she didn't really want care too much about Scuzz. So, mm. no, that, that's a good. Yeah, it, it's it's subtle, but but yeah, it's there. Um, but 
Um, as he's kind of relaying the information, they're getting ready to drive off. Well, there's headhunters here too. So they've, they've narrowed in on everybody. Um, and they're again, just kind of waiting for the, just pick just the right moments where they're separate and can get them without a fight. Uh, but, but the showdown of this issue, uh, happens next. So we cut back to, uh, Stephanie, David, and Lenore uh, trying to grab all the kids and David in the Winnebago uh, runs into Chuck, who pulls up in his car. Uh, Stephanie's ex-husband, who's got the Chuck Norris mustache, but it's mostly just a jerk. Um, uh, yeah, he's, he's yeah. very little written the way of redeeming qualities. There. No, um, even the kickers didn't like him, but I mean, he's he, yeah. Yeah. He's one of these, like, how did this girl end up with this guy? Kind of, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe his dreams got crushed or something. I don't know. Maybe he was a little bit nicer before. Um, but anyway, uh, David doesn't want him to kind of mess things up and kind of go right into the house and run into Stephanie with whatever's going on in there. So he kind of gets in the way. Um, they don't know each other. So David pretends to be from the clinic. Um which is kind of flimsy because, you know, you just randomly show up to his mom's house. And how did you know to look for me here? Um, so the conversation doesn't go well. Chuck tries to give him the brush off. Uh, Randy's kind of grabbing like, no, wait a minute. Um, and Chuck throws a punch into his midsection, which is just womp. <laughs> really does nothing. Uh, ugh, my hand, like hitting a brick wall. Shouldn't have flown off the handle at this brute. Yeah, let me just point out, Dave is like 6'11 and 365 pounds, according to last issue. So, yeah. And, and he, he picks him up like he's a baby, <laughs> like it doesn't weigh anything, kind of grabs him by the arms, picks him up. You know, you don't want to hurt him, just keep him from going inside. And Chuck's like, let, let go, you're breaking my arm. Classic whiny bully move. Um, so he lets him go, but. You know, there's like some kid stuff out there, a skateboard, you know, baseball glove, baseball bat. Chuck grabs the bat and like from his knees swings up and breaks the bat over Landers' head. <laughs> Oof. Oh, yeah. um, and the kids notice. <laughs> mommy, mommy, your friend's fighting with daddy. What? Daddy? <laughs> so things are going south. Uh, Landers is not unconscious, so we get oh geez, he's still standing, but he's kind of bleeding from the head. Um, and of course, you've pissed off Landers, and he's huge, so you know, he's angry, grabs him, puts him in a bear hug. You're dead here, me creep. <laughs> How do you want it? Cave your chest in, pull off your arms, twist your head backwards. Oh gosh. <laughs> in his head, blood in my eyes, stings. He split my head open. And this is the best, I think, you know, so we get a, a pullback cut. Basically, he goes from bear hugging him to just throwing him up high over his head. Uh, Chuck lands on the two-story roof with a sprack, uh, slides off, tries to grab the gutter, falls, bounces off the car, lands on the ground, thump, ouch. <laughs> this is really, uh, like, well drawn and, like laid out on the page it's a really interesting page where you know all these things sort of go in this clockwise direction i guess um 
And so you, it's like a diagram of this uh, action series of actions. Yeah, it is a nice page, right? Because the it's it's like a full panel sized look at the house. But then, you know, rather than waste all that space of just showing the house, then like the rest of the action scene kind of covers up, you know, which would be like the front of the house. So, but yeah, it's, it's, it's neat. Um, yeah. And it's like a, violent. Yeah, it's violent. Yeah. Chris, I think Chris Ware would do things where like you'd have a, a view of a house and like different parts of it are in different times or something like the past and the present and you like, Anyway, it reminds me a bit of some of that, like more advanced graphic design stuff, but yeah, not usually so fancy. Nice little touch. Nice touch, yes. Um, So Stephanie rushes out. Uh, Chuck is the crumpled, bloody mess on the ground. Um, You know, she could heal him, but you know, she's no doctor. She doesn't know what she can do uh, with broken bones, and if they would heal like a mess. So you know. Second best, she heals David, who's got a bloody head. Um, and, you know, we get, a little, again, more mopey landers. Is, you know, without stitches, it'll probably leave a scar. The scar's not going to ruin my looks. <laughs> Feels better, <laughs> thanks. Also, he wears a hat like Mark has it. So. Yes, which everyone looks cooler in, apparently, in the new universe. <laughs> and, of course, you know, he just crumpled some poor guy but it's like mm, she laid hands on me but not her husband what does it mean she healed me but not him <laughs> you're a one-track mind my brother come on on yeah. it goes more chaos <laughs> more chaos stephanie runs back to the kids and they're all tranquilized so lenore knocked them all out uh which of course freaks out stephanie at first but she's like they were hysterical they thought their father was dead i thought only to spare them Sure thing, energy vampire. Yeah, Stevie is like goes off the the hook on on Lenore at first. There, how dare you touch my children? You is like I don't know about. I'm, I'm kind of cooling off on Stephanie myself. I don't know about Dave, but it's like a lot of bad ideas, a lot of dragging you into trouble, and then a lot of like mad at you when things go wrong. You know. Yeah, we're getting a little bit of the hysterical woman vibe, I guess. Yeah. But I mean, it kind of makes sense, right? I mean, she had the she had the it's, most to lose. Yeah, and... it's rational and it's like in character. So yeah, I mean, fair people enough. Don't, people don't always keep their cool and have snappy dialogue all the time and stuff. You know, I can't even keep my cool through like a thirty-minute meeting. What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> hey, just try not to slap too many people, all right? <laughs> don't throw anyone on the roof. Uh, so yeah, so they argue a bit, you know, Stephanie wants to, you know, stay and at least keep her husband from dying and help a little bit. Um, but Lenore convinces her that, you know, the police are coming, you know, the grandma might still wake up, you know, how are we going to explain all these things? You know, we, we can't help him. Let's just go. Uh, so they take off. Um, and, uh, you know, so, so that's them for now. And then we cut back to Randy uh, who had wanted to investigate and talk to one of the bikers, right? So you can just kind of sn- snuck into the hospital. So it feels like I'm James Bond taking a lab coat out of the laundry basket, sneaking around where I shouldn't be. Uh, but yeah, he's, but he's, he gets it that he's a doctor who's pretending to be a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> he has these weird, like, 
moral dilemmas where it's like, how can I pretend to be a doctor when I'm only a doctor? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so, so he ends up talking, yeah, talking to the biker who's burnt and miserable. Um, but yeah, again, with the moralizing, like the man's numb with pain and I'm lying to him. Lousy for excuse for a doctor I am. He's, he's and, numb with pain. He's doped up on opioids. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> he didn't study pharmacology in medical school, but uh, well, there's options. He's just know. getting to start. I don't know. <laughs> He's a resident. He's a resident, yeah. So, so Jeff and Charlie are outside, you know, kind of waiting uh, for Randy to get done. Uh, Jeff wants to go off and, and zoom off and grab a quick phone call, and the headhunters use that as their opportunity. Um, so they call back to the clinic, right? And so we've got the woman who can, you know, see through their eyes and figure out where everybody is. Um, yeah, Miss Speck. Miss Speck, thank you, yes. Um, so yeah, this really explains a lot about like how they're sort of able to be so professional or well, to to, to get people at their weak moment, yeah. Yeah, so the cl- a, a lot of conversation in the last couple issues, you know, our DP seven were pretty convinced that the clinic had just given up, uh, but no, not the case. We've been seeing it all along. They've, they've been uh, hunting them. So, so he does get to, she does kind of get to see that Randy's in the hospital, just making a phone call, you know, we're clear. So the guy fakes being, you know, asked where the emergency room is and Charlie gets tranked. <laughs> um, dun, dun, dun. And a, a clever bit of uh, subterfuge, you know, it's not long before Jeff comes back and he's super fast, right? He can track them down and, and, and find them pretty quick, but they basically tossed a blonde wig on her and, you know, have her kind of like snuggling in the car <laughs> as they drive away. So, you know, making it so uh, Jeff can't figure out what happened. Yeah, Jeff could, I assume, check every car in the lot and probably within a mile radius, but yeah, the, a blonde wig, uh, maybe quick change of clothes. Um, probably didn't put makeup on her as the colorist seems to be suggesting. Yeah. Um, gave her white face. <laughs> yeah. It's like yeah, no, Stephanie's in the car, but. It's, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so, you know, Randy comes back out. Charlie's gone. Wait, Jeff, slow down. Wait, you're telling Jeff to slow down. <laughs> uh, I can't understand you. Um, so yeah, he's, he's checked the whole lot and half the tri-state area, right? Um, that would be in New York, right? Um, but yeah, so again, he left. You know, they weren't together. That was the opening. You know, Jeff's a little unsure if maybe she just took off because she had talked about maybe leaving. You know, Randy didn't think that was the case. You know, so we're screwing up. You know, two of DP7 have been captured. Uh, and more to come perhaps <laughs> uh, so we cut back to the crew in the Winnebago uh, Stephanie's got all her kids you know again no totally not a witch here no she didn't put a spell on anybody <laughs> so you got creepy sleepy witch and monster man driving us around Mom's- well, what about monster man driving us he heard daddy I saw him <laughs> oh. no that was the paper boy that bounced off the roof and <laughs> fell onto the car. I don't know. <laughs> Lenore and Dave, I'm sure. Like, oh. yeah, yeah, these kids are great. A real blessing. I'm glad they're <laughs> good. Uh, so. Who wouldn't want to be in a Winnebago with 
three of somebody else's young kids who hate you. <laughs> Why'd you kill daddy? Didn't kill him, probably. Is daddy okay? I'm sure he is. You promise? Yes. <laughs> uh, so things aren't going well with any of anybody's plans. And uh, perhaps it wasn't the best idea to take the kids on the grand DP7 road trip either. Um, I'm hungry. I gotta go pee. Monster Man's looking at me weird. <laughs> All right, some of those I ad libbed, but we've we've spent enough time with kids in the car, right? <laughs> Can you guess which one of these lines was not spoken by the character? <laughs> uh, so they stopped for some McDonald's because the new universe was brought to you by McDonald's. Occasionally Wendy's, but mostly McDonald's and Miller Lite, apparently. But... Miller Lite. I guess Denny's too. A lot of good chains. <laughs> right. So Monster Man brings the McDonald's back to the kids uh, who <laughs> thinks he's an ogre. Um, you know, he comes in, you know, Stephanie's gone, but apparently she went to the phone to just call the hospital, find out about our uh, crappy husband is doing, uh, you know, David and Lenore come out to meet her and she wants to go back. Right. So they argue Landers doesn't want to go back to the hospital, of course. Uh, Lenore doesn't think it's a good idea. Um, but, you know, after all the grief, you don't know anything. You know, I owe it to Ben. I promised him his dad would be OK. Doctor said he had a broken leg, two fractured ribs, some internal bleeding. I could help him now that his bones are set. I'd know where to touch. Um, you know, Landers isn't having it. You know, I refuse to. Must I remind you that you're the one responsible for Chuck's injuries? Okay, we'll go back. <laughs> she could get him to do anything, I think. Yeah. Yeah. The Chuck had it coming, <laughs> seriously. But Chuck is respond the one responsible for Chuck's injuries, if you ask me. But, um, yeah. Okay. It's it. I, but let me point out, she's she's on. She's saying to the person in the hospital no i can't hold on i'm on a pay phone that's a real like blast from the past now that you don't have limited time with a phone and a quarter and all that yeah it's even got like the like bound phone book hanging there and stuff it's good stuff uh but yeah so one page left and so she goes back to the hospital an hour later chucks in that like bugs bunny kind of traction with his cast and his leg up and all that good stuff uh, he's unconscious. She walks up and heals him. You know, you know, she's yeah, again, you know, not quite sure if her healing powers work, but you know, she sort of helped him out. She gets kicked out by the nurse visiting hours are over at eight. Um, she hops into the elevator where it looks like there's an orderly and, and somebody in a wheelchair. The doors close, the doors open back up. And now the orderly's standing there. Stephanie's in the wheelchair and the guy's putting away his tranquilizer gun. <laughs> smooth, yeah. Paracone, real smooth. <laughs> yeah, that was a, that's a real nice uh, series of panels. That is a nice transition. So Scuzz has been tranked and captured. Charlie has been tranked and captured. Stephanie has been tranked. And unless they intercept her on the way out of the hospital, captured. <laughs> so I, I didn't really, well, you, you finish up the page there. All uh, right. So yeah, next three down, four to go. Be there. Be there. Be there. Yes. Nice. 
Even yeah, EP7, the comic book, wants you to listen to our next podcast, clearly. <laughs> Come back when we cover DP4, number eight. Uh, DP4, indeed. Yeah, down to DP4. But we still have some of our heavy hitters. So still a, a strong group of paranormals left. Um, maybe have some hope of uh, recovering uh, some of their friends if they can find them. Yeah, it's, I mean, that's the thing. None of the the DP7 have a, has a power like that uh, spec woman does. So they can't sort of keep a track of each other. That was the whole problem with SCUS or, or losing SCUS. So, yeah. Um, you know, I think I didn't really um, question it, but I guess these are two different hospitals, right? Because yeah, I assume so. Somewhere else, yeah. So there's no reason to think those are they'll run into each other out in the parking lot or anything. Hmm. That would have been kind of funny. Yeah. But it wouldn't fit the scene, the theme of the, you know, that they're kind of isolated and that's that's causing them issues. Yeah. By the way, um, the title uh kidnapped, doesn't kidnapped have two P's? <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. Kidnapped. What? Yeah, somewhere there also they say, here I am kidnapping someone, you know, these kids. And it's again, kidnapping these kids. Hmm. What? (laughs) Did they change that in the last couple of decades? I don't know. But anyway. Yeah, two Ps. Well, that's funny. But that's kind of odd, especially that you would make the mistake twice. Maybe somebody read the read the title page and then they're like, oh, that must be how you spelled it. <laughs> I'm not going back to change things again. It'll just make it worse. Yeah. It is a little nice twist that you're thinking that, you know, it's kind of like they're kidnapping the kids to to rescue them from the aunt and the horrible ex-husband, but it's really the our our DP7 guys that are getting kidnapped. Right, right. It's a again a uh, makes you think they go in one way and they they like pull this out of, your, of a hat for you. Yeah, yeah. But I don't I don't think Randy was ever going to track down Scuzz, so maybe maybe this will help them uh, reunite. If not, uh, back in the clinic in prison. Yeah, you know the question for me about Scuzz and the attack at Bean City is. Um, that no one, uh, we haven't seen the the woman that picked Scuzz up again, Mary, because yeah. she was supposedly a barmaid there. So I don't think she was, you know, around when Scuzz went crazy. But if someone told you, like, oh, that guy that we beat up a few weeks ago, that you know, he came back and killed us all, and that you barely have to put two and two together, you know. So yeah, there. I mean, she may be laying low you know one she kind of helped take care of him and didn't want to be considered an accomplice and then two kind of like had an embarrassing like almost relationship with the minor and literally got burned from doing it so she may be just staying home with an ice pack for a while yeah Mary, uh, I heard you had a new boyfriend. Um, no, no, not didn't. No, didn't work out. Sorry, I can't tell you about. 
<laughs> nothing to see here. Nothing to see here. Boy, he was like 15. Uh, <clears throat> Ixnay on the 15. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a lot, just a lot going on. And yeah, it's definitely the, the clinic uh, closing the, the noose on, on the DP7 is the, the main overstory we're getting here. They had uh, thought, you know, they had the run-ins with the first three in the first two or three issues and then without anything for the last few issues, which for them were several weeks, they thought maybe this is moved on. Maybe we should move, you know, split up and go back to our lives or do something else. I don't know. But yeah, it's definitely coming down on them fast. Yeah. And then notably, like timeline wise, we're kind of like a month behind uh, the other issues where we're still in like November 86, where the other ones are either like, you know, Christmas or January the next year and such. So there's a lot happening quicker here. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of how I remember um, something Grunwald saying about like, yeah, we, you know, I compressed a lot of action into a few uh, and then there'll be some, you know, some time elapsed that'll catch them up at the end of the year or something, as opposed to some of the other writers who think that every month has to progress the story a month later. Um, so, yeah, I don't know, maybe because Grunewald's a little bit more of one of the architects of it. He has sort of a more flexible grasp than some of the other writers do. Yeah. Yeah. We missed out on a lot of football games and kickers Inc where I could have helped fill out the roster or figured out what of the other city team <laughs> names are and stuff. Yeah. Oh, well, but that's all right. <laughs> yeah. Then, when we put together a timeline, eventually it'll be uh, compressed in some parts and vastly expanded in others, but we'll see. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I would say strong issue here. Um, DP7 kind of always is, though. I mean, occasionally it can get a little slow, um, but it's never it's never really, uh, you know, had any real problems or issues. The story's always kind of moving along, you know, from the escape to the road trip adventures to fighting off the clinic and uh, arguing amongst themselves and now getting captured. Uh, you know, things are moving. Yeah, and as we said before, they really think about you know powers and how they would work and how you, you know, real ramifications of them. So it's like, well, as long as you've got someone back at the clinic who can just look through your eyes, you're not going to be able to hide. Yeah. So yeah, they they, they have to solve some of the problems with the, the clinic watching them and. Uh, if they ever want to get out, get uh, uh, free permanently, so yeah, um, yeah. The the response to the from the kids to all this like the weirdos and uh, them fighting with their dad and all that seems seems true. Yeah, yeah. So I I would have no problem giving this one the the classic A rating. I uh, yeah. Yeah, I guess I'll give it. I'll I'll, I'll throw it down as an A as well. <laughs> Were you gonna go lower? I I mean, sometimes you're just like, if you're you're used to this incredible, uh, you know, like 
a higher uh, level of uh, consistent, um, consistently delivering, I'm like, yeah, you know, should I expect something new to pop out of the woodwork? I, I know. Yeah, it doesn't have a lot. It doesn't have like the highs and lows kind of like, wow, holy cow, like what's going on here? But but it's just always kind of, you know, well done storytelling and and still kind of cool moments. Yeah. Yeah. This didn't have the, you know, Dennis, Scuzz kind of, you know, at wit's end, you know, blazing, literally uh, driving off on the motorcycle kind of moment. But it it did have... uh, Chuck getting tossed onto the roof. <laughs> so I was thinking the um, Dave Landers has, seems to have some anger issues actually, because that um, that reminded me a bit of the fight with uh, Mr. Magnificent in the Kickers issue. Yeah, he really just kind of unloaded on him. Yeah, once you like you you flip a switch on him, he's he just goes nuts. Yeah, so. He's a uh, yikes. Um, Maybe you wouldn't want that as your boyfriend if you're Stephanie. <laughs> <laughs> so let's see. I don't know. Yeah, the the there's still uh, several DP, but I mean, you got strength and speed, and uh, I don't know what else we got. Um, Astral ghost projections. Who can punch yeah, people? The, yeah, that's the thing that's always the real wild card because you you never not quite know what that thing's going to do or is capable of. So, yeah, because it seems to be a little bit free thinking too. So it'll pop out if it thinks it can uh, do something helpful for Randy, even if Randy's not uh, not wanting that to happen. So, yeah, let's see. Yeah, I'm ho- hoping for some showdown soon. Yeah, yeah, I think we got. We got some fights ahead of us here, and uh, we'll see if the clinic sends like normies or or more paranormals because they they've said they've got a couple more groups of them out there too. So yeah, we'll see more clinics, more to come. Mo clinics, mo problems, as we used to say. <laughs> I don't think anyone that. says that now. No, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. Shall we wrap it up? Yeah. Let's see. So next week we will be looking at. Okay. Let me confuse you all for a minute. Hmm. Why would you do that to us? According to the promo um, for next week uh, in Marvel age, it was still having um, Starbrand eight and, and Spitfire and the troubleshooters number eight. Um, but as we discussed um, earlier this month, uh, Starbrand had either already gone bi-monthly or was about to. And for both our sakes, we uh, sort of shuffled it around. So um, the promo for Starbrand number eight, should I read that? Uh, sure. Is Starbrand takes a trip to Switzerland but instead of fun, he finds danger, not only for himself, but for his friends as well. Written by Bobby Chase, penciled by Rick Leonardi. Mm. Um, that's definitely not going to be what we cover next time, because we still have to cover Starbrand number seven. Right. And the Starbrand seven promo, which I think we gave a few weeks back, 
Starbrand must battle the ancient alien who gave him his incredible powers. A shocker. Shocker. And having read that in preparation for an earlier podcast, like, I, yeah, I would say a shocker. There's some shocks in there, sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Starbrand's a little mixed up, but... Um, so this is the first time we're getting out of sync, like, as I say. So we'll have Starbrand 7 and Spitfire 8 next. Yeah, but it's not us, right? It's them. <laughs> if we take Publish- no... Yeah. Publishing schedule wackiness. Uh, but yeah, Spitfire rolls on. So Spitfire and the Troubleshooters number eight. Uh, the Troubleshooters meet a mysterious benefactor and get into a lot more trouble than they've ever had. Wait, more trouble than like dying and stuff? Okay. Uh, plus, hey, half of them are in the hospital and the other one's dead. Okay. Plus, the new Spitfire armor is revealed, written by Jerry Conway and Roy Thomas, penciled by Herb Trimpey. Um, Hmm. So yeah, I wonder if that's accurate. Uh, it could be, but also that would seem a little disconnected from, you know, the, the, the troubleshooters <laughs> all getting hacked up <laughs> last year. Yeah, it's a little vague at the first. Um, and so if there's a ar- new armor, that would be cool. But I don't, I, something's going on with the troubleshooters they didn't bother to put in yeah. this. There's what's more trouble than dying? I don't know. Taxes? <laughs> Double dying? I don't know. <laughs> Ghost oh. gets killed? <laughs> well, anyway, now I guess we'll just have to read it and find out, and uh, you'll have to listen and find out. Uh, in the meantime, uh, kickersinc.com. Spruced up as of a couple weeks ago from this recording. Uh, you can email us at newuniversepodcast at gmail.com. That's also on the website. You know, give us a question or a comment, earn yourself a little bit of a prize. And uh, we'll see you back next time at the Spinner Rack. See you then.